pull up a chair and join us at the Energy Roundtable. Welcome to Energy Roundtable. My name is Lisa Katz and I'm joined here today with Bill Davidson. Welcome, Bill. How are you today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, it has been a, a very long time since I've been on the, I'll call it show. Uh, so it's good good to be back. Uh, it's been, my son is about five months old now. So I think the last episode that I recorded was just before I left off on maternity leave. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a while. I'm uh, I'm probably a little rusty. I have to get my radio ba- voice back together. <laughs> All right, so I'm sure most of our listeners know, at least the, the ones that are uh, tuning in on a regular basis, although we actually haven't done this in a little while, uh, whether it's myself or Matt and Bill. Uh, But we basically come up with, we'll call it between two and four news articles that are energy related to try to keep uh, you guys informed on uh, the latest and the greatest in the energy space. And then Mark will come back in as our uh, man behind the glass, as we call him. And uh, then there's usually a debate topic. And I'm really nervous today because Bill always comes very well prepared. And more importantly, he is great at debates. So oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, with that, I will start. Uh, I'm going to review. I'm not going to call it one article because it's unlike my, my usual where it comes from the Toronto Star. This does not come from the Toronto Star. This is uh, with regards to the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022, otherwise known, of course, as the IRA, uh, that was passed into law on August 16th by Biden. Um, I wanted to cover this for a couple of reasons. And so I'm I'm focusing on one because this is probably going to take me a little bit to go through it. I'm going to try to be as quickly quick as I can, though. Um, But I, I wanted to give our listeners uh, kind of a bird's eye view of what's on this in this bill and some of the uh, positive implications it's going to have on you know uh, anyone who's really involved in the energy space. So I guess to start off with, um, it is one of the largest, in fact, some say the largest climate and energy package in U.S. history. Uh, so you know, really excited about that. Um, there, most people are saying that it is the largest because of the breadth of technologies that it covers from a technology and uh, you know including a technology neutral approach and from a durability perspective in other words most have been short-term extensions and this is more of a long-term extension uh, previous initiatives have failed also to spark significant projects under past legislation uh, this is supposedly going to change all of that there are significant tax credits that are available And what's really interesting as it relates to the space that at least CEM is participating in uh, and and many people who are probably listening in as well, is that it affects hydrogen, there's carbon capture utilization storage, there's biomass, there's biogas and RNG. Those are just some of the technologies that are mentioned. I think I'm probably missing a few others, but those are the ones at least that, you know, we're getting really excited about. so it was signed into law on August the 16th. It raises uh, $737 billion over 10 years, uh, $437 billion expenditures over 10 years, and provides $369 billion in tax incentives and spending on climate and energy provisions. So it's huge, 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 huge. Uh, most people that I've been speaking with are really excited about this. And uh, although the energy market is already busy, I can just see that this is going to, you know, this is going to keep everybody busy for for many years to come. Uh, just to cover off on a couple of the 
key aspects here. Um, I actually sat into an RNG coalition webinar. Uh, and for anyone who wants to have the, the full notes, uh, they just, you know, feel free to contact me, Lisa at cmeng.ca. I'm happy to share my notes and or the notes that I received directly from the RNG Coalition. But to cover off a, a couple of the key components, there is a domestic content requirement, uh, which, you know, people should be aware of. For the most part, it looks like this is going to affect manufactured product. Uh, there's a phased-in approach. It varies on a percentage basis depending on the year of construction. Uh, so something for for uh, you know people to recognize. It does not look like it affects services from what we can tell as of yet, uh, which means that we as a CEM, a Canadian engineering firm, should be able to participate in this. The sealing and stamping of you know detailed engineering documents, of course, is separate and has to go by the local laws in the U.S. Of course, but. Uh, that is a positive thing for people who are outside of the U.S. Um, Section 48 um, of the investment, investment tax credit for biogas property, it includes cleaning and conditioning equipment. Uh, that was identified as a qualifying pro property under Section 48. Uh, it's effective for property that's placed in service uh, after December 31st, 2022, and that begins construction prior to January 1st, 2025. The definition covers digesters and accompanying cleaning and conditioning equipment. So a big part of the stuff that we're working on on a daily. There's a 6% base credit, 30% for meeting labor requirements. There are domestic content and energy community provisions. So you have to take a look at that. Um, and then in general, qualified biogas property means property that converts biomass into a gas, which consists of not less than 52% methane by volume or is concentrated by such system into a gas which consists of not less than 52% methane and captures such gas for sale or productive use and is not used for disposal via combustion. Um, what else is there? There's some clean fuel credits. Um, the alternative fuel tax credit was extended through December the 31st, 2024. And then section 45X of the clean fuel production tax credit takes effect after December the 31st, 2024, through to December 31st of 2027. I won't get into the, the numbers there, but um, just for people to be aware. Uh, the fuel must be suitable for use in a highway vehicle or an aircraft. Um, and apparently this is really just a kind of, uh, I'll call it, um, uh, what do you want to call it? Qu qualify, I guess, or, or, de or determine the type of uh, quality rather that the fuel needs to, to come up against from a measuring perspective, uh, but it can be used in a non-transportation application. There's also a clean hydrogen credit, which is 45V. Uh, again, I'm not going to go too far into the numbers here. Uh, and then there is section 45Q, which is the carbon dioxide sequestration credit. So lots of really, really good, um, you know, and, and, um, you know, good credits that are available. The one thing that that uh, we would be just suggesting as CEM and that was also suggested through the webinar is definitely get your accountant involved when you're looking at the project because the credits, the, um, you know, the way that, uh, you know, in some cases, some are not, you know, they don't work together. Um, so if you, especially if you have various like projects, like if you have a, a CCUS project and a hydrogen project, 
and maybe a biogas and RNG project, like some of that stuff doesn't necessarily always work together. So you really have to consult your accountant to figure out what credits you can take advantage of. But we do expect this to create, uh, you know, a big spur in activity. Not that that activity is, um, you know, is, is slow at this point. And the only downfall I see from this, frankly speaking, from a Canadian context is, will it detract investment in Canada? And we have, you know, the, the um, um, Clean Fuel Fund and there's, um, you know, some other policies as it relates to hydrogen, you know, the low carbon hydrogen strategy in Ontario. So, you know, is that going to pull away some of the attention from Canada and push it over to the U.S.? This is something that remains to be seen, but uh, the, the reality is that it might. We'll see. And so that was a little long, but <laughs> it was as much as fast of a download as I could provide, uh, considering the, you know, how, uh, how complex, I will call it, uh, I will say the IRA is. Yeah, I, I would... Uh... I would say we easily could have done the whole episode on this alone. Yeah, um, absolutely. You, you went into some detail about things that affect that would affect us as a company in particular, um, but it's it's obviously very wide reaching as well. And from a, sort of from a high level, I, I I assume you've seen some of the analyses out there. It's like what what is actually going to result from this? What is likely to result from this with respect to the actual greenhouse gas reduction, that type of thing, and and, uh, and, and even just energy usage. And of course, it's, it's kind of, there's a range, it's kind of all over the place, but you, you, they're talking about up to, um, you know, 40% yeah. uh, carbon reduction, right? By, by, yeah, 20, by 2030. Yes. I mean, yeah. Right. And, but what's interesting though, is that as far as like getting to zero in, in 2050 and all that type of stuff, this what analysts are saying is that this is good because as you said it is the largest one ever it gets us back onto the possibility on that getting back to the curve that allows us to get there but doesn't get us there yeah right? so so basically we would need more legislation if we're if we're actually going to hit any of these goals or whatever that's not a negative it's just it's good it's just yeah, you know, this is, yeah. but this needs to be seen as a first step in with regard to uh greenhouse gas reduction yeah yeah. yeah so right yeah and exactly the, uh, and i i hope I hope what it will do is it'll spur it'll spur you know these projects it'll spur investment and it will you know sort of drive some of the behaviors and and that will sort of hopefully have a bit of a rolling effect and you know we'll see more and more companies trying to get engaged whether it's you know to deal with uh, some of the benefits that come out of the IRA or you know beyond that just because of uh, for their own sustainability objectives and reasons right. Well, this is what it's going to take. That's the bottom line. It's something yeah. like this, and only something like this that yeah. that could that could make this work. Like you said, you you have to make it appealing, and and uh, that's what's being done here. So, well, we should probably move on. But this is great. I mean, there's there's other things, right? Like the the uh, even though this is talked about as being um, a solution to climate change, not a solution, but anyway, a way of tackling climate change, a step forward. Um, there are provisions in there for new energy in, in the uh, fossil fuel sector as well, which yes. got, 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 a little, got a little bit of news, which is interesting, but it's basically outpaced by, um, uh, basically um, by reduction of emissions by a 20 to one ratio, right? That was, yeah. that was what they were saying. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. Obviously that's about politics and, and that, but whatever, got it done. So but anyway, thanks, that was great. You're most welcome. Awesome. Um, so 
My first one was, um, it's an article in Popular Mechanics. It's actually everywhere. And I took an older one, but there's all kinds of them. I've been talking about this a little bit. And it's titled, uh, Japan's Big Boy Deep Sea Turbine Will Harness the Power of Ocean Currents. So I, I usually like to explain why I, I pick a particular article. And um, it's simply because it's not a, a tidal turbine. Because these oh. are because the tidal ones are are, are well known, right? Yeah. But this one's act, this one's actually for ocean currents, as as you can tell from the headline. And so what's going on here? So um, Japan has to think a bit outside the box when it comes to energy sources for the the future. Um, they've been heavily investing in renewables, like everybody, wind and solar, especially after Fukushima. But geographically. Uh, these aren't ideal, at least compared to other locations on the planet. So obviously, Japan is great access to ocean. <laughs> so tidal turbines are on their list for sure. Um, and for 10 years now, a company that's called IHA Corp has developing a turbine to make use of the power uh, from ocean currents. So earlier this year, they completed a three and a half year long test. Uh, their expectation is to be commercially running in the 2030s. Mm. So, so they have a, a 100 kilowatt version of this thing. It's it's about 330 tons. Or did you say 100 kilowatt? Yeah, kilo, kilowatt. Kilowatt. Yeah. Just said yes. kilowatt. Okay. Said, All said, right. Well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> we got to. Yeah, it's 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 a, it's a pilot right now. We're, we're that's working. right. Okay. Um, it has three modules, cylindrical modules. They they float around, um, usually about around 160 feet uh, below the surface of the water, and they're anchored to the sea floor. Um, as I said, the models are cylindrical. The the two outer modules have 36 foot turbine blades that rotate in opposite directions it looks wow. like a big crazy looking airplane because it's got the the middle part and then the, the two um turbines on the outside let me just sorry let me just go over that you said 36 feet yes wow for 100 kilowatts they're, they're huge <laughs> wow okay all right i'm just i'm trying to you know put the size into my head so okay well i'm gonna get to that right because that's that's an important factor that you just pointed out like because it does look it looks insane um they Okay, so anyway, they, they even though they're anchored to the to the sea floor, they do have some mobility. Um, they come to the surface to be maintained, and they can take change depth to go where the current is the strongest. The uh, the pitch angle of the blades uh, can also change with the speed of the currents to you know to try and keep it, it is a, as efficient as possible. Um, so the advantage that they have over some renewables is their capacity factor. It is generally higher. And, you know, meaning that the energy is coming at a steadier rate. Uh, wind, solar, tidal tend to be in the 10 to 40 percent range, whereas users are in the 40 to 70 percent. But the truth is, uh, like the downside is that they're not getting the outputs anywhere near their individual tidal mm. counterparts. That's that. Now we're going to the, the blade size because you don't have the flow rates. Yeah, I was going to um, say, yeah. Right, yeah. right. So now, but Bloomberg did report that um, just using one of the main currents, the Kuroshio current, it's called, hope I pronounced that right, they could generate about 200 gigawatts, hypothetically, um, huh. which which is around 60% of what uh, Japan currently generates. So who knows? I thought it was interesting because it's a little, didn't even know about it, to be honest. It's a little unusual. So. Yeah, it's uh, not, not that it's in any way similar to the technology, of course, but you know, just from a, I guess, a, the, the mobility part of it, it's like SMRs, right? Small modular reactors, right? Like the fact that, you know, they're, we're really trying to get smaller with energy and place them in different locations and in many locations to try to take advantage of that. 
And that, yeah, so that's the, the current piece is interesting. As you said, the, the flow is obviously reduced, so you're not going to get as much power out of it. And then the, the tidal ones, from what I've understood, I think there's one, I don't know if it's still... Um, if it's still there or if it if it's if the project is basically I'll call it you know if it's finished but there was one in New Brunswick I think or okay. and, and I and I, I I could be wrong with the location so hopefully I'm not misinterpreting or misstating this but I think it was close to around the Bay of Fundy because of the the tidal currents that are uh, available in that specific area oh. but I from what I recall that technology rec- received quite a bit of flack because of you know, sea life getting trapped into the blades and, you know, things like that happening. Um, yeah. But, you know, nonetheless, I think we're, it's it's good that we're, we're you know, we're thinking outside of the box at the end of the day. And we've said this many times, it's going to take a bunch of different types of technologies to kind of get us to net zero. So this is probably just one of them that's going to, you know, maybe help us, uh, despite the fact that, you know, you have this 36, monstrous 36 foot blade to produce, you know, 100 kilowatts. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, 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 I'm glad you stated it that way. Um, but anyway, because we, because we, I, I guess I say that when, uh, you, the press often talks about each of these individual technologies as if, as if this may be the potential game changer, as if 100% or near that is going to be used. It's just the way it's always presented, right? Yeah. But, I like the fact that we're reminding everybody that no, 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 this is probably going to take a whole bunch of different uh, types of, of solutions here. And it's worth looking at um, different different types of solutions for different applications, because that's probably yeah. what it's going to take. So yeah. re- regardless of what the headlines say, because they're always meant to be a little fantastical, um, they, it's still worth looking at all these. Will this one yeah. pan out? I have no idea. but. We'll <laughs> No, good, good article. Thank you for that, Bill. So, because I obviously only had the one, I'm going to let you go to your uh, your second one. Sure. Um, fusion. I don't talk about fusion enough. Uh, just joking. I talk about it a lot. Actually, there there was some provision for fusion. I didn't I didn't actually read read up on it in the Inflation Act. Oh, is there? Oh, I did not see that. Okay. Yeah, there's some there's some reference to it. I I need to check it out. But but anyway, I I want to talk about fusion because I have and I usually give occasional updates and if been watching the news in the last couple of weeks um they were talking about it so i figured i should address that and primarily the news was about the uh, lawrence livermore national labs their national ignition facility it's the one-year anniversary of their record-breaking 1.3 megajoule shot and for reference this is eight times their previous record which was from earlier on in the year and now it's a year later but three papers have now been published that confirming those findings and so the significance is not just that we have the largest yield from the experiment here but more importantly this is considered evidence that nuclear fusion ignition is possible and just as a reminder the ignition point when you're talking about fusion is where the reaction becomes self-sustaining because up, up to that point you're you're adding energy to the system to get to get the fusion to occur. You need the heat. Um, but after ignition, hypothetically, you can take that energy away. And the reaction itself is providing the heat to, to keep fusing, essentially. So, and this is the first time it's it's happened. And now their experiments going forward can be conducted in this experimental regime that's past the ignition point, where we just haven't been before and the system behaves mm. differently. So it's exciting. Um, it's also it's exciting because you can see if there's 
we may find out there's even more roadblocks or we may find out that smooth sailing after here and being optimistic. Um, and as a reminder, this is inertial confinement fusion as opposed to the magnetic confinement like the Tokamak reactor that, that we've talked about before. Uh, this particular system uses 190 lasers to compress the fuel. Wow. And they're right. And but there therein lies a technical challenge. Because although the experimental results are considered confirmed, they have not been replicated in successive attempts, which is not oh. great when you're trying to do science. Um, yeah. The yields have been significantly higher than they were before, to be clear, but they're nowhere near that August 2021 shot. And the system itself is simply, it doesn't operate in a repeatable fashion. And the somewhat random performance of the lasers themselves are a major contributor to this. The fuel is, is the other. So there were over a thousand researchers named in those three papers. And as, you, as I explained, there's, there's a lot more work to be done. Um, the next steps on the inertial confinement front are, you know, targeting a more robust, stable system by working on the laser performance and the fuel consistency. So it's interesting because I think I've often talked about a, a, a late 21st century sort of goal at, at the moment right now. And I would say we are still there. I was but, just but, about to yeah. ask you from a time frame perspective what what the goal is. Well, so that's that's OK. I, to, to be fair, I should I should say that that's not what all these uh, all the media outlets are saying. They they seem right. to be readjust, readjusting from this. I don't think I you know I don't think I would. So anyway, yeah. um, it, it, it's interesting, and I'll have more updates if something like this happens uh, again. Well, so. it's no, it's good. It's it's exciting, and and thank you for providing the updates, especially to the uh, our listeners who are excited about the technology because. The reality is, if if this actually happens, it's really going to change the way that we look at energy, and uh, yeah, right. I mean, it's 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 a it'd be a huge advancement for us. It would it would just be massive. Like I can't. It's it's hard for me to you know. You could compare it to when nuclear energy fission came came along, right? Yeah. But it's not. It's not. It's different. And and uh, um, because. Not that there's not negatives to or, what, or, or whatever, but it is not the same. You don't have the same type of nuclear waste and and, and that type of thing. So yeah, um, it's pretty exciting, but it's it's also pie in the sky in my mind. Like I don't I don't want to be negative, but you just have to be realistic that there could be um, technological hurdles that we don't overcome, and uh, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Interesting. Now that is related to this, but just uh, a little small promo piece for our listeners who are interested in nuclear, just because it's tied but not tied to what Bill's talking about. Uh, we will be having SAS Power and the Canadian Nuclear Association on one of our podcasts coming up. We're recording in September the 6th, so I'm not sure how many podcasts are in the queue. It'll probably come out a couple of weeks or maybe a month after that. But it is actually going to, they are going to talk about SAS Power's uh, first SMR project that is not yet officially approved that I believe is going to be approved in 2029. But anyways, for those that are interested in that, tune into that podcast. It'll be coming up uh, at some point uh, in the coming weeks. All right. So I this I guess this is where uh, I dread uh, having Mark come back to the screen, right? <laughs> what are you doing? You always do well. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. How are you doing Hi. today, Mark? I'm well. How are you guys? 
good. Great. Good. I'm a little nervous. My palms are sweaty, but <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, as always, our face-off hardly ever relates to the topics that we that you guys discuss, but that's kind of part of the fun. Um, yeah. And today's topic is online shopping. Not like that's new. I'm sure everybody uh, in this room has probably ordered something online. <clears throat> now, um, some people still swear by physically going, grabbing the object, feeling it, and choosing the object they want at the store. So I figured this might be an interesting thing to sort of talk about and see which way you guys take it. So um, it's a heads or tails for, I'll let Lisa call it. So you can pick heads or tails. My usual heads. All right. That and might it be is, bad luck. It is heads today. It is heads, okay. Yep. Okay, well, I'm going to take the advantages side, not because I think it's actually easier, but because I think I can just relate very well to this, uh, not just because of the pandemic, and I'll, I'll tell a couple of stories, put it that way in here. I know this is necessarily going to help me or, or not, I don't know, but nonetheless, so I had kind of a, a couple of more, I don't want to say recent experiences, but through the winter, I was rebuilding my mountain bike. And uh, so it's a full suspension mountain bike. There's a whole bunch of bearings and I want to put new tires on it. And I'm very much about supporting local bike shops. Very, very much about, do, you know, that. And, and, and this goes for everything I do from restaurants to, you know, farmers markets. to you know, just supporting local and buying local as much as I can. Um, but what was so interesting is I get to the bike shop and I'm asking them for a set of tires. I know what brand I want. I know the model and all that sort of stuff. And bearings are very specific for obviously the bike. And they tell me that there's a back order because of the rubber shortages, because I guess all the rubber is going to truck tires or something this year. And this was, I think, because of the issues in uh, it was, is it Japan with the rubber trees or whatever. Mm. Anyways, so I said, OK, well, you know, what type of back order am I looking at? And they were talking about like July. And I'm like, and this is like in the middle of winter. And I'm like, July, that's like, I'm more than halfway through the mountain biking season. That's just not going to work for me, right? So they said, well, why don't you check online? Okay, so, okay, fine. I'm going to check online. I got the tires in two days, two days. Then they said, so, then, so now with the bearings, I ordered the bearings. Two weeks later, they called me and they said, the bearings are in back order. Very similar story, maybe not quite as bad from a date perspective. And so I said, well, isn't there a way to find, like, get them faster? And I said, oh, yeah, we would actually suggest go to Canadian bearings. They'll definitely have them in stock. And so I'm scratching my head going, if I was the owner of this bike shop, number one, because I'm in sales and I, you know, I'm big into customer service, I'd be ordering the parts online for my client, right? Because, like, there's already huge bike shortages across the industry because everybody during COVID wanted to have a bicycle, right? And now you're pushing people away from the bike store from, for a replacement part perspective for service, right? So it's, it was beyond me. But nonetheless, I got my parts so quickly. It was unbelievable. And it was because of really online shopping. Like, I did everything. The tires came from Amazon. The bearings came from Canadian Bearing. And uh, bearings were delivered in my mailbox. Like, it was it was, it was, was just so quick. So I, I, I'm a big advocate for online shopping for that reason. Because, of course, I was able to get the parts when I needed them. Um, but I also don't like sales pressure. And maybe that's because I'm a salesperson. <laughs> like, when I go into a shoe store... I am the last person who wants to be helped. No, I like, unless it's like a foot locker where they just have them like on the wall and you know, you're looking at your model and then you have to ask for your size or whatever. I just don't want to be helped. 
period. I just, like, I know the tactics and it just bugs me, whether it's shopping for a car, not that I do that that often, or, you know, shoes or just anything. It just bugs me, really bugs me. And the other thing I really like about online shopping, because I'm a little bit of a, a little bit frugal, I will say, is the price comparison piece. I love being able to jump on different websites very, very quickly like this while I still have windows open with Best Buy or whoever and compare TV prices or you know whatever I'm purchasing because you can do it like this and you can get the best price. And it's hard to do that in reality in the store. And the other thing that I hate when I go to do this in person is crowds. I'm, I'm not a fan of places like, um, let me see, Marshalls and Winners. Oh my God, Costco market's one of the worst. Like if I oh, go to man. Costco, it's gotta be in the evening during a week or very early morning or something because I cannot stand it. No, I just like the, the fact that, I mean, Winners is a very good example of this. If you need clothes, I want to go into a clothing store that has this t-shirt like that looks like this and there's various colors and sizes and whatever, right? It's really easy for me. If I go to a winner's and I have to sort through a million one racks or it's there's a crazy crowd in there, no, I'm not interested. I might as well just buy the thing online, right? Yeah. So I don't know. For all of those reasons, I'm very much a, an online shopper. I, I do appreciate the fact of going into the store for certain items and having the kind of touch and the feel. But often, I hate to say it, I will do that and then come back home and purchase it online because I'm going to find the best price somewhere else, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Anyways, with that, I will hand it over to Bill. <laughs> and, it, and it's funny if I can interject as you were talking. This I got a notification. I don't know if you can see this. Oh, probably not. But it's an Amazon notification on my phone <laughs> from four oh. minutes ago. It's, it was my wife ordered something. I don't know what she's ordered, but oh, um, better be careful. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> okay, very, very good. So um, I would say that. I don't doubt that there's a place for online shopping and, and the reasons that Lisa just gave her are, are totally valid. And I would also add that, you know, when you want to replace your pet food or, or something like that, that's um, consistently the same over time, it works out really well. Um, but for much of our needs, there just is no replacement for a visit to a brick and mortar store, which and you, and you gave an example of that at the end there. You can't try on clothes. And sizes are not universal, as we as we all know. And I swear that that problem has gotten worse as, as time has gone on. <laughs> um, they, different companies just don't want to conform. Um, and who wants to buy multiple sizes to try on and then send the others back? You know, like, you know and you talk about not wanting to talk to people, but getting answers or help is next to impossible online. There are plenty of resources to check, but just asking a simple question, it's, it's not a simple process. And in here's here's a major one, I think, when you're looking at it in the aggregate. The environmental impact is quite negative because you have multiple shipments. I just talked about the clothes. Um, this is actually seen now as a practical solution to this problem is to order three sizes and return the ones that don't fit. And the companies themselves have become amenable to this. If this becomes commonplace, which it is starting to, how's that going to work out for carbon reduction? You know, let's, let's talk about security jumping topics here. Obviously, you can get ripped off in meat space too. Meat space is the real world, if I if don't, if, uh, don't know that term. Um, but the uh, the opportunities for getting ripped off are so much higher, uh, so much more online. It's, it's a business of its own and it's a multi-billion dollar business. Here's an important one to me. Instant gratification, gone. 
<laughs> I, I need to enjoy my impulse purchases right now. Even one day, that's an eternity for me. I'm not going to care tomorrow. Now, let's talk about used items. Buying used items is problematic. You know, you're really rolling the dice when you can't check something yourself. And I think anybody that's had that experience knows it could be fairly negative. Uh, hardware and electronics. This was one that hits me. I'm always buying parts for things. It can be really hard to figure out compatibility just based on the often limited photographs and the information that you have online. I, personally, I don't, I don't know how many times I've had to look at cables online and I've said, well, I'm sure one of these two will work. So I end up buying them both or, or even more. Whereas if I just honestly just had them in my hand and see, okay, I understand how that works now. And I would I'd be a lot more efficient and buy the one that I actually need. But ultimately, I, I just got to ask, where does this all end? You know, we, we already have smart appliances. We're only one step removed from a smart fridge that orders food automatically. In fact, I'm told that that already exists. If you have a well-trained AI, which were basically there, if it truly understood my eating habits, it would simply keep my fridge stocked with Coca-Cola and Hostess cupcakes because it, it knows that would keep me happy. And let me be honest here. I'm not ready for the feeling of being judged by an appliance. Is this, is this the world that you want to live in? I don't think, think so. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, that's good. Can I, can I see a few things? Cause this is, this is, that was funny. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I have a question for you, Mark. That's what are you wearing? Was it bought online? No, this was actually bought in store and it's a company oh, called, it? yeah, it's oh. actually, it's called 10 tree. And when you purchase, apparently when you purchase the, through them or the, the, through this company, they plant yeah. 10 trees um you know after your purchase so to so speak. you know so, why i ask because i don't know why but maybe because i mountain bike and I'm, i don't know there's this, this adventure piece to it this always comes up in my feeds this exact sweater oh yeah um, yeah it comes up in my feeds all the time for me to purchase you know because they're you know that, that that whole ai piece right yeah um but what i was going to say about the sizing thing so i i agree with bill but it does depend a little bit because if you are if you like specific brands like for example for exercise clothing I love Lululemon. They're ridiculously priced. I will, you know, agree to that piece. But man, does that stuff last a long time. And I know my size and I can easily quickly order without going to the stupid lineup that Lululemon has often outside these stores now, right? But I, the other piece that I will say, as far as it relates to the environmental impact, what's really interesting is a lot of these companies are recognizing that. And whether it's good food or, you know, who's delivering them cardboard boxes mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, a lot of the uh, different uh, delivery companies, they're trying to come up with these large sustainability objectives and they've got hydrogen or CNG fuel trucks or battery operated trucks. Like they're thinking about this whole, the full value chain, right? So I think that's, that's important to consider. And the other thing that I just had to say to Bill, yep. it, for online shopping actually gives me a double gratification. <laughs> The one from the click, and then the one when I get my present through the door. <laughs> I can I can understand that, but that's because you have some sort of willpower that allows you to to you have that's that's called delayed gratification, and yeah. that doesn't exist with me. If I if I'm in the if I'm in the line and I see and I grab the uh, the the Swiss Army whatever thing that I didn't know that I needed, 
I need it right now. I have to walk out of the store with it and start playing with it. Right. I, well, take for Lisa, it might, it might be extended gratification, not delayed, <laughs> yes. right? Yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And, and the, thing, the thing with the clothes, I know this isn't supposed to be back and forth, but these are good points. But I find that the problem with the clothes thing and saying, because you're right, I end up doing the same thing where it's like, no, no, no. I know this particular brand. I understand their sizes. I'm a yeah. whatever in this. And I can even extend it to a different style or whatever within that brand. And I'll probably be okay. But then you have to ask yourself, did you just get limited to this company when it when you would have otherwise it would have been mm-hmm. completely versatile and you would have had all these infinite options and now you don't and you don't even know it. You sort of subconsciously you've been been restricted because of how the be, because of the move that they made, the the uh, you know, which is which is a strategic move to not have consistent sizes. Anyway, that's all I was gonna say. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder in the future what stores will be obsolete and will only strictly be online versus yeah. what will be brick and mortar. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. you know, yeah. like for us, like um, all obviously all of our food, I always like support local food, like like you were saying, especially meat and stuff. I know you can order things online where you order half a fridge or whatever it is, and they come in pack like air sealed packages and stuff. We still don't do that. We still go to the butcher and still pick our meat that way, right? So, this is a tough one for me. I think like I don't, I can't even pick a, a clear winner here because I'm so divided. Like you. Both have great points, so I think this is one of the first draws. Have we even had wow. a draw yet? <laughs> um, because I'm torn. I'm torn. Like, like I said, like a lot of things I will order online, and I have no, I've, I've no, you know, I don't feel bad for ordering things online. And then there's certain things that I feel compelled, like, like I said, like food and certain things around my area, um, I have to support them, right? So, I'm torn. I, I, I got to give this one a draw. Sorry, guys. Well, c- congratulations, Lisa. <laughs> well, congratulations to you too, Bill. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, it was a good discussion. It was uh, it was it's fun. Good, yeah. So I appreciate the topic, Mark. Thank you very much. And it was good to be back on the show after uh, such a long while. And uh, yeah, it was fun. So we'll do awesome. it again. Absolutely. All right, guys. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much for tuning in to Energy Roundtable. Lisa Katz and Bill Davidson, of course, the, ma- the man behind the glass, Mark Charbonneau. Thank you very much. And for those of you that want to comment or provide us with even some uh, um, some some ideas on you know what we could do for uh, for this uh, what do we call it now? Face off. Face off. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, feel free to reach out to me directly if you like. It's Lisa at cemeng.ca. Thanks so much, and tune in next time.